In this episode, we wait out there for part two of our discussion with Daniel Bragg from Cameron, Montana. Daniel cut his teeth fly fishing as a youth in the Ozarks and later the mountains of Tennessee while attending school. When his promising career out of college left him feeling stuck, Daniel moved to Montana and took a $10 an hour job in a fly shop to pursue his true passion, fly fishing. It wasn't too long before he was guiding the Madison River at Kelly Gallup's Slide Inn. He's been hunting and fishing in the Big Sky State ever since. In part two of our conversation, we discuss how casting, entomology, reading water, presentation, and fighting fish changes with the seasons on the Madison River. Welcome to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Shemchuk. At Wade Out There, we believe fly fishing is special, but not elite, and that anyone can become a great fly fisher if they are willing to go, learn, and teach. Join me as I talk with other fly fishermen and women about their unique journeys into fly fishing, the rivers they fish, and the tactics and philosophies they practice. For those who can never leave the river in their hearts, this podcast is dedicated to helping you make the memories that keep us all coming back to wait out there. All right, well, let's talk about the Madison River now. And uh, I'm I'm glad we got into fighting fish in the way we did, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about well, first of all, why is the Madison a special place for you, special fishery? Why do you enjoy fishing it? You know, the Madison is um, it's a 50-mile riffle. Um, it's a, a huge, huge riffle. That's pretty much what it is. I, what I really like about the Madison is the way it changes and the rate at which it changes. Um, and it's pretty much all due to the uh, rate of fall. So from the slide in uh, down to Ennis, that river falls like, I think it's like 12 or 1300 feet in 40 or 50 miles. That's a bunch. Like that's a lot. And, uh, and so that water's cooking. I mean, you can actually, in some spots, when you're standing in the river, you can look downstream and visually see that the water is dropping in elevation, which is pretty rare in a river. Um, you can truly, unless it's like a, you know, a creek running down a mountain, sure. But in like a tailwater the size of Madison, where it's, you know, 50 yards across, and you can truly see that the water's falling, it's pretty awesome. And so, you know, you start off at the top where it's really rocky and big boulders everywhere, fast current. It's fast everywhere, but fast current. And, and then it, you know, goes down a little bit, gets a little bit flatter, more pea gravel stuff, but there's still evergreens on the side of the tree, or side of the rivers. And, uh, and then you go down a little bit further, the evergreens stop and the, the banks get pretty flat and you can really see the whole valley out through there. And, you know, the bottom of the river is starting to get really flat. And then you you know, you make it through the flats until you get down to Barney. And then that's where the river starts braiding and, and it starts turning more like it's, uh, you know, it's about to run into a lake, which it is. And it just changes from that flats to cottonwoods on the side of the river and 
and tall grass on the side of the river, like, like cattails and stuff. And you have a bunch of islands and different side channels that you can take and, Mm -hmm. and just, you know, just all sorts of features and, and it just changes so much. And the possibility of catching a big one is there. Um, and you just never know when it's going to happen. Um, but aside from that, the bug life on the Madison is pretty much second to none. I mean, it, it is unbelievable, the biomass in the water. Well, that's one of the five parts of fly fishing. So that's right. Why do you say that? And, uh, and also, can you talk maybe a little bit about like how that changes throughout the seasons? You know, I'd like to kind of get your take on seasonality of the Madison. Sure. Yeah. So like right now we're in springtime. Um, we're blessed with some moisture this year. And so we're starting to see some runoff, see some mud, uh, see the, you know, the tributaries start putting in more water to the river system. So it's increasing the flow a little bit. Um, and during this time of year, uh, with that increase in flow, you know, it's, washing mud and stuff in so there's worms in the water right there's absolutely a bunch of worms especially when it rains montana if it rains for a day if you just walk anywhere there's worms everywhere like like up in the mountains there's just there's just worms man that's what i fished on the gallatin when i was a little kid (laughs) yeah and uh and you know then the stoneflies, we have, the, the Madison has all five, yeah, it has all five types of stoneflies on it. Uh, squalas, golden stones, salmon flies, uh, yellow sallies, and nocturnals. It's got all five. And so all these stoneflies are starting to move around and the high flows are kicking over rocks and the flows get so high this time of year, you can actually hear the rocks tumbling. Like if you're out there standing and you're fishing, you'll just hear like a low grumble. It kind of sounds like distant thunder, but it's a boulder on the bottom of the river rolling. Because <laughs> of that current speed, you're saying. Because of the current, yeah. And it's up higher even with the rain and stuff. That's right. And that's what's yeah. pushing these rocks around. Wow. That's cool. And unique. Yeah. These rocks are, you know, they're getting flipped over kicking all these bugs loose, you know? Oh yeah. That's cool. So there's a ton of bug, bug life in the water in the springtime, especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And trout, they are tactical feeler feeders. That is how they feed. So when you see them nymphing, like in a run, you know, you'll see them down there and they'll go like all over. They might even come up and grab something off the top, but they're just moving around. Well, they actually jiving. Yeah, they're just they're just nipping. They actually mouth about eighty percent of the stuff that comes by them, whether or not it's edible or not. Okay. Really? Yeah. And so they grab it, and if it's not edible, they either flush it through their gills or they regurgitate it back out. And so when the more food that's in the water, the harder they feed. Okay. If there's not very much food in the water, they don't feed that much. That's just that's just how fish are. Uh, it's how trout feed at least. Mm-hmm. And so the springtime, there's a ton of food in the water. All these rocks are getting kicked over. There's caddis nymphs, there's mayfly nymphs, stonefly nymphs, worms, mm-hmm. sculpin getting dislodged. Um, and so there's just so much food in the water and they're coming off of winter. So they're hungry. 
<laughs> you know, the water's warming up. They're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're just feeding like crazy. Right now is about the easiest time to come out and catch a ton of fish. And you can catch some big ones, but right now is about as easy as it gets to catch a bunch. Um, and it what? would be nipping, nipping and streamers. Okay. Not not a ton of dry fly stuff unless you uh, land on a river where the squalas are running around quite a bit or you have, you know, like a Mother's Day caddis hatch, um, okay. which is right around now. And where would you classify this kind of spring? To, it's kind of this period of entomology you would say is wrapped up into when runoff is hap- starting. So winter is kind of ending. Yeah. Runoff is happening to where flows kind of stabilize. Is that the springtime that you're talking about? Yeah. This, this is where the river jumps up because of runoff. And then, and then as it's clearing up, right. uh, especially when that water turns from brown to green with about two to two and a half foot of visibility window, Boy, that is some good fishing right then. I mean, it is unbelievable. Easily, easily can go out and catch 50 fish um, as a single angler in the walkway section up there, up above the West Fork. It is not a problem. Right there next to the slide-in before the West Fork because the West Fork just pukes mud. Yeah. Does it ever get too muddy? I mean, are there days where you're like, eh, not happening today? Down below the West Fork, it can't because the West Fork will really puke the mud. The... It's a 10-mile section from the yeah. West Fork up to the slide. And so, you know, it comes out of Hebgen Dam, which is a tailwater out of, out of Hebgen. It'll come out of there super clean. You got two tributaries up there. You have Cabin and Beaver Creek, and they come in just before Quake Lake. And then that water mixes in Quake, right? Mixes beautifully. Yeah. And then it falls out of Quake Lake. And when it's coming down through the slide and through the walkway section, it's this beautiful, like mixed, not too dirty water, yeah. just enough to calm them down. Yeah. And, and Cloudy, it runs, yeah. yeah. And it can, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. One, because you know where the fish are going to be. They're going to be right on the bank. That high flow, they are not going to be out in the river. They're not going to be spread out. They're going to be right on the bank. When I go fishing on like for myself, during that time, I, I'll wear Crocs or Chacos or just muck boots, and I do not get in the water. I do not get in the river because if you drop off the initial grass bank, mm-hmm. you're standing where the fish is going to be because yeah. they're right there. I mean, you could go out there. Like, I don't tend car fish, but if you're to tend car fish, that'd be the time because <laughs> okay. they're right there. How's They're casting right look like in this, in this season? How, are you casting? Um, I mean, if they're right on the bank and you're casting from the bank, you're just kind of, you worry about lining fish or, you know, a lot of stripping line, high sticking or how, how? Uh, you are stripping a lot of, you're stripping line fast. So if you're going to nymph, you're going to cast upstream, strip, 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 strip. Yeah. Cause it's going to be rocking back to you. And real close to the shore. Oh dude. Or to inches, the bank. Inches. Yeah. Yeah, And, uh, like if you're running an indicator, you want that indicator pretty much ticking grass. And then, um, and you're just casting straight upstream, you know, straight it's up. like, you're like parallel and bank, like bass fishing, you know, but, okay. but in, in the river and then with the streamer, the way I like to do it is, you know, I like to cast kind of downstream. I know 
Kelly and the way that, that we typically teach in our streamer schools is we want to cast upstream. And that's, that is true in, in a lot of situations, but during high water, but then being next to the bank, I prefer to actually throw downstream and then just swim it. Like I just swim that, that thing right up the bank where I can see it, like mm-hmm. this far below the surface and they'll just explode on it. I mean, just swimming it with your rod tip and then stripping it up to you a little bit at yeah. the same time. That's the biggest tip when it comes to streamers is forget about your hands as far as giving life to the fly. Mm-hmm. Use the rod tip. I mean, streamers, streamer fishing for a trout is just trying to get as close to bass fishing as you can with the fly rod. <laughs> okay. That, is, like that, that is simply all you're trying to do. Is you're just trying to act like a swim bait with a bait caster but you have fly around your hand. So it's a little bit more, uh, involved. Okay. When you cast upstream that close to the bank and then it comes down, now your fly is kind of a beam you. When do you give up on that? Or do you let it go now past you downstream when you're nymphing? Uh, when I'm nymphing? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's coming at you, coming at you, you're, you're stripping line. Now mm-hmm. it's, now it's to your feet. Are you going to feed line and let it keep going downstream of you? You certainly can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, during that high water stuff, you know, I'm, I'm only fishing the bank and, um, and I'll just pretty much just move up and just like, you know, only fish what's in front of me. Okay. Um, but I'll at least let it get down to my feet and pick it back up and make a couple casts. How about, so reading water, you've already kind of said they're out on the bank. So that's, that's for this season. And then we've talked about casting and what about um presentation you know just as natural drift as you can do on that bank or yeah and i mean and during that high high flow time you you have a lot of leeway just because the amount of food that's in the water and mm. the, the rate at which they're feeding i mean this again goes to into what i was saying about it being the easiest time to just wear them out it's okay that time i mean it it is that time. I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't take much. All right. And then the last thing would be fighting, fighting the fish. and It can be challenging during the spring because of the high yeah. flows. Because they got more force that they can get into, huh? That's right. But you also have to think about the off color. And so you can get away with a higher tippet. That's right. So you can offset that a little bit. There you go. Okay. Let's yeah. talk summer. Let's move into summer. That's awesome. I could talk to you about spring and that's a great, but I want to get through it all with you, Daniel. Yeah. So let's talk about how the season changes now into uh, summer and mm-hmm. how, how those five parts of fishing kind of change now that we're in a different season. Yeah. So this is my bread and butter. Okay. Is, uh, well, this is the time, right? Oh yeah. So, you know, a lot of people do get frustrated with the, the stonefly hatch. And I understand. I mean, it attracts the crowds. There's people from all over coming to the Madison to fish for the salmon fish, salmon flies for, for big brown trout. And rightly so, because they like them. Um, and you know, it's world renowned and people, I get people all the time come wanting a a guide trip and they want to go throw salmon flies for big trout. And yet they don't have a ton of experience. Um, they're not, particularly skilled and I'm very very honest with them to where throwing salmon flies on the Madison um it is 100% a skills test 
it, it is what you practice for because it has everything in it. I mean, everything. Your casting must be precise and consistent, like bar none. I want that fly within six inches of the bank. No question. Every single time. And I want it up underneath all the limbs every single time. And I want your line management to be correct. And I want you to be able to set the hook on that giant brown trout that just slurp that number two water walker and actually stick them. Because if you don't manage your line correctly, he spits it before you touch him. That's all there is to it. And then, you know, you're going to be fighting a big fish. It's got it all in it. I mean, all of it. I've, you know, that is by far my favorite thing to do um, in the fly fishing world is throw salmon flies for a big brown trout from a boat, from a boat. Does the entomology in the summer outside of salmon fly hatch or, I mean, what other things are considerations when you talk about that part of fly fishing in the summertime? The Madison stacks its aquatic insect hatch pretty much all in the same time. So the way these rivers work out here is, um, you know, these bugs, they hatch around the same time every single year and it's largely based on water temperature. Um, and so whenever those, that water hits the right temperature, those bugs are going to hatch. And even if it doesn't hit the right temperature, like it's just an unseasonably cold spring, mm-hmm. those bugs still have to hatch. They have to hatch. And so they're still going to do it. So like all these bugs, they come off at pretty much the same time. So when those salmon flies are coming off, it's generally what I like to tell people is on a normal year, you can plan on them being on the Madison, somewhere on the Madison around June 28th. Okay. June 28th, they're going to be somewhere, whether they're up high or they're just starting They're They're going to be somewhere. They start low and they move up. And so, you know, but during that time you have salmon flies, golden stones, caddis, like crazy, mm-hmm. uh, black caddis, like crazy, yellow sallies. The Madison has, I think nine, nine or 11 out of the 16 different types is yellow sallies. <laughs> like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, you have green drakes, um, epioris. I mean, there's, there's everything. There's absolutely everything out there. And it's all happening kind of, you said that stacked up. So you mean they're, they're happening kind of sequentially throughout the summer based on water temps? No, I mean like, like all, if you're there on June 28th, you're going to see all those bugs in the day. Oh, I got what you're saying. There's yeah, just I mean, a ton of, of that type of thing. Millions. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, uh, I mean, if you're, paranoid about bugs <laughs> don't come that would not be a good time to be there because they're gonna be on you well how do you choose i mean i would be now i'm thinking like all right well so when it gets to that stage it's really about how do you want to catch them because yeah i mean if you want to go out and just catch fish you can nymph and you can run pheasant tails or mm-hmm. or a three dollar dip or some sort yeah. of caddis pupa and absolutely, absolutely smack them, like totally smack them. But, you know, I like to say that throwing salmon flies from a boat 
on the Madison River throwing dry flies is a privilege. It is not a right. It is a privilege. There are a bunch of people that want to do it and that get turned away because, you know, everybody's booked and they don't have a boat or they don't have a friend that can row them. Right. And it is totally a privilege. And, um, you know, if you have the opportunity and you're um, willing to, to try to do it because it can be exhausting, a lot of cast, then um, it, it, it's the best thing out there. Like, I mean, I've, I've, I've been fortunate. I've gotten to fish for a lot of things with a fly rod, salt and fresh. And I would still rather be in a boat with, you know, me and Parker, me and Luke, me and Max throwing number two dry flies up against the bank for a big old brown trout. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Yeah. Well, you're there, man. You're doing it. Yeah. So good for you. Is it up against its casting in the summertime, mostly up against the bank um, for all these type of dry flies? Mm, no, not really. Um, uh, it, it really is is that way for the salmon flies and the stone flies because that's the way that, that the bug hatches okay. and that the, the adult fly actually lives. Um, you know, they, they, when that water temperature gets right, the nymphs crawl out of the water, which they spend three years in the, in the water. Yeah. The rocks and they crawl up onto the grass or anything dry and they crack their back and out comes the adult and they live for like maybe three to five days as an adult. And that's, that's all they do is they don't have a mouth. They don't eat or drink. All they do is just breed. And then when they're done breeding, they die. And, but they spend their time on the banks and the bushes and then they also migrate. So then in the middle of the day, if you're in the middle of the hatch, Mm -hmm. on a sunny day and and it's one of the craziest things if you are in the boat and you look straight up in the air and you put the sun or your your hand over the sun and you look up there you'll see what looks like cottonwood flying you know and it's it's always going upstream it looks like cottonwood and the reason it looks like cottonwood is because they're like 200 feet up in the air but it's (laughs) salmon flies and they're migrating up the river Wow. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And is it all, it's not all summer though, that this is happening, right? It's just kind of during their water temperature hatch time. Yeah. You have about two to three weeks of a salmon fly hatch. How about presentation during this time in the summer? Uh, so, I mean, and, and that's another beauty about a salmon fly is cause they're so big and the flies that we use, it's foam. Yeah. You can, you can do the dead drift, which is standard. Right. 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 But you can also skitter it. And so that's another part of the skills part is another thing of learning how to skitter. And, and the way I like to teach to advanced anglers and the slide in is, is very fortunate. I mean, the slide in gets some really, really good anglers, like m- more than I would say most of the other shops. And it's simply because it's in the middle of nowhere. And like, if you're going to the slide, you came to Montana to go fishing. Because there's, there's no restaurants. Like the next restaurant is a long way away. There's yeah. no hotels unless you're staying at the slide in. Right. It's just a long way. And so we do get some good anglers. And so the way I like to teach those, those good anglers is I show them how to skitter. But then when they make the right cast and they get it up there right on the bank, 
let it dead drift and stay in that zone right up there by the bank. And then if it, when you come to a log or a limb that's out in the water, instead of just pulling up and casting behind it, skitter that thing right across the front of that log or right across the front of that limb to where it can, in order to get it into a clear lane to go mm-hmm. up underneath it. But you're going to fish while you're still moving it into the clear without getting hung up. And so this is a lot of line management and just, you know, your eyes have to move so fast when you're dry fly fishing salmon flies on the Madison because that river is cooking. It's at like three miles an hour, three or four miles an hour, which is fast. That's Mm -hmm. really fast. And dry fly fishing, you're rolling like you're rolling. And so you want to get it in there and you're watching that fly. You're watching, making sure it's in the zone, making sure it's not flipped over upside down or, or going to get hung up on a a mid river stick or rock or whatever. But you're also looking for the next spot, the next like hard to get to spot that old big boy could be hanging out in. And so you have to be just constantly moving those eyeballs upstream back to the fly up, you know, just, just moving all the time. And it's, uh, it's the best, but it's exhausting. Because <laughs> you're just so active, just it's mentally so active. and physically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. like you take a break to retie or whatever, you're just like, wow. <laughs> All right, let's do it again. It's fast and furious. Yeah. All right. If you're doing it right. Reading water, uh, that's one of the parts in the summertime. Reading water in the summertime, is it more than just the bank? Uh, definitely, yeah. Once that water starts falling... Um, river will slow down, more riffles will come, um, sustainable for holding fish. And so you have to read the water more intensely on the Madison. Um, you know, up, up in the walkway section where all the big boulders are, um, it kind of makes it a little bit easier because there's so many, one, there's a lot more fish up there, but two, uh, you know, the boulders allow for easier reading of the water. Whereas once you get downstream and the river starts flattening out and there's not as many boulders out through there. Yeah. You have to read those riffles. It's harder to read the riffles than it is seems that you can see coming off a structure. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But once you figure it out and you get the eye for it, it takes the right uh, angle with the sun. Yeah. See, I, I call it the gloss. You're looking for the gloss on the riffles. And, and it takes just the right angle just to look across the like downstream of the boat and say, there's a pocket out there. And all it is, is, you know, that river's going along and then that gloss happens and that's signifying there's a a little dip. There's a little depression down there in the bottom of the river. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. And it's the same thing that's happening. It's just harder to see because of the, geography of the river at this place yeah right it's the same kind of feeding lanes you're talking about it's just different Mm -hmm. it's presented differently i guess exactly you have to just look at it a lot more i don't i don't even know you're doing a good job a lot more fine i mean it's just like okay i see it there it is right there and a lot of times it's so fine if you take your eye off it it's hard to relocate it yeah but you have to have the confidence in your ability to, to look at the water because everything that happens on the bottom is shown in some way on top. 
in some way, shape, or fashion, as long as that water is moving, you can see that some sort of disturbance happened on the bottom, off the top. And so you have to have confidence that I see them, and then you're like, all right, guys, throw it on the right, out here in the middle, right now. Yeah. And you're rowing along, rowing along, boom, there you go. And that really comes into effect later into the summer during hoppers. All right. Let's talk hoppers. <laughs> you mainly throw hoppers in the in the you know in the middle. That's where we get most of the bites around the middle. And the only reason for that that I can figure is maybe the water's a little cooler out there in the middle because um, the way that the bottom of the river is shaped and the way that the color of the rocks are, the color of the rocks right up on the bank are black, so they absorb heat from the sun more. And it's also slower moving right up on the bank, so it gets more stagnant and it warms up. That makes sense. Maybe they suck out to the middle for that reason. Yeah. Or two, if you're out there on a really, really, really good hopper day, which are pretty awesome but pretty rare, you'll see these hoppers, and they'll they'll be flying across the river, flying across the river, and you know how a hopper, you know, like, and then falls, right? Yep. And they, like, click across and fall. Yeah. Well, they feel like they can make it across the river. And they just can't. <laughs> and so they just land out in the middle. Yeah. Right? Whoops. So, yeah, they land out in the middle. And so maybe those fish are there because that's where the actual food source is, is in the middle. Yeah. But on a really good day when you're fishing in the middle, man, hoppers will be landing in your boat and then using you as a halfway point to jump and make it to the other side. <laughs> that's awesome. No, I wouldn't think that you were going to say hoppers in the middle. I was going to think more on the bank. Absolutely in the middle, right dead square in the middle. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about fighting fish. Is there anything about fighting fish in the summertime in particular that is that we haven't covered that you want to bring up? You know, when it gets real warm, just don't, you know, I, I'm not a, a fan of, of just wearing them out. Yeah. I like to use as thick of a tippet as I can get away with. And, and I really don't think that the fish see it. I think that the tippet, I think more of what the tippet does as far as like why people like to use smaller tippet and feel like they can catch more fish is the thicker the line, the more drag, drag. in the water. Yep. More drag in the water. So if you're not really good at your presentation, at ensuring that you're getting a very natural drift, the thicker line is harder to get a natural drift. That makes right? sense. Yeah. It doesn't just cut and slice right through the water. It gets pulled on. Right. But I like to use as thick of a tippet as I absolutely can get away with. I mean, like, and sometimes even bigger than what I can get away with because, you know, I'm under the mindset of, you know, I want to get the bite and then I want to actually hang on to them. I don't want to, I don't want to leave a ear or a lip ring in his mouth. I want to actually hang on to him. And then in the summertime, it's pretty important. Get that fish in, you know, don't take him out of the water very long. If you're going to take a picture, you know, you need a, a another person there to take the picture, but just like real quick out of the water, back yeah. in the water, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but that's really it. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about summertime fishing on the Masson before we move into the fall? You know, I know you're going to ask me, like, what fly 
whatever I could use for a year round fly. And the most versatile thing is a streamer. Um, you're not going to catch them every day, but you, you could catch one, a big one at any time of the year on a streamer, whether it be in December or January, you still get one on a, on a streamer. People do it all the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, streamers are the other thing in, in the summer. It just might be more of an early or a late game. How about fall? Fall fishing, you're still uh, you're still out there fishing in the fall? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't I don't really uh, do the the shoal stuff, the fishing while they're on beds and stuff. Don't do that. Um, Kelly's shop i mean kelly gallup is you know he's a really well-known streamer guy like he pretty much most of the modern day trout streamers are made by kelly gallup they were developed by him and so we have streamer schools in late september and october and it's three days of of guided streamer fishing and that is all you're allowed to do it doesn't (laughs) matter if the midges and the the blue wings are like literally painted on the water yeah. You can't throw them. You're going to be throwing meat all day long. When I go streamer fishing, I have to do that because I get too tempted to do other stuff. I've even left boxes behind where it's like, okay, today it's just going to be yeah, streamers. Get rid of the temptation. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And that's what streamer school is. And, and uh, you know, there's different ways of fishing it. The way that I like to fish streamers on the mass and the way that I have found to get the most success with clients in the fall is to hit their, their staging areas. Like, um, and this goes into reading water, but to be able to know where these fish are wanting to stage as they make their journey upstream to eventually finding a a red and, and, you know, doing the deed, but, you know, inside bends, big river wide holes is what I call them. Um, and then I jig, like, I mean, 250 grain sinking line on a seven weight, throw it out there, like straight across the river, throwing a big mend and, uh, let big it mend upstream. Yeah. Big mend upstream. Okay. And then sit there for just a second and let it sink. And then you're going to be jigging it. And what we, we teach in the streamer school is it's all about the rod tip. You move the fly with the rod tip, you bring in the slack with your hand. So when you jig, you pop up, and as you lower the rod down, that's when you strip. It's not a – you're not stripping as you jig. Got it. Just like that. Okay, so it's a pop up, strip, pop up, strip, pop up, strip. And then one of those times, it's going to be because they eat it on the fall. Not going to be picking it up. Yeah. Oh, it'll it, be down. Yeah. They yeah. eat it on the fall. Okay. Because your fly is doing this. Up and down. Yep. Just like that. Just like bass fishing. It's just bass fishing. That's <laughs> what it is. All right. <laughs> How about entomology? We're talking streamers. So, uh, you know, are there different types of streamers used on different types of days or conditions? Or how are you adjusting your yeah. fly selection during that kind of fall streamer time? There's a lot of uh, speculation about, you know, when to throw what color. And man, there's no science behind it. Like a fish is a fish yeah. and, and you never know what they're going to think. I mean, I've caught 
fish on, you know, a, the best streamer day I've ever had was a bluebird sunny day. That's not supposed to happen in the middle yeah. of the day. I just talked to somebody the other day. He said the same thing. Yeah, that's not supposed to happen according to streamer fishermen, right? You're you're supposed to wear them out when it's uh, cold and rainy. Um, but no, I've had great days when it's cold and rainy, great days when it's sunny. I've had terrible days when it's sunny and terrible days when it's rainy. It, it doesn't matter. You just have to try it, fish it with confidence and do your best and see what happens. And colors is kind of the same way. It's whatever you feel confident in and what, what you're going to fish the best is probably what's going to work the best for you. Cause you're going to fish it the best, right? Yeah. Um, you know, white, uh, black, olive, yellow. Those are all like, those are, that's probably the four most used ones. Okay. Um, you know, yellow is apparently really good in the spring. Um, you know, I'm saying this because it can always change. Uh, you know, they say cloudy, dark days, black is better generally. Do you buy, I, I don't know. I, I think he, what you mentioned before is true for me. I, if I think it, then I fish it better. I'm confident. And so totally I fish true. it. So I, I don't know how much of what I do sometimes is, is based on that versus actually the whatever science of it actually being better or if it's just me perceiving it. And so I fish better or differently, but do you, I, I, what do you think about that with a dark day, dark colors and a sunny day, flashier colors? Like I'm, I'm to the point I, I try and I seem to see more luck putting flash on a, you know, like a flashback pheasant tail versus just a, real low profile, no bead head kind of pheasant tail. Yeah. I would, I would fish that kind of more plain Jane pheasant tail on a dark day and I'd put flash on, on a sunny day. Is that, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Whether or not it actually matters. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's why it's fishing, man. Yeah. That's true enough. But yeah, I mean, sounds good to me. You right know, if, yeah. if you believe it, then, uh, then you're probably going to fish it a lot better. That's a good point. You fish it better if you believe it. Yeah. The other thing with that is knowing the food source. And so in the summertime, I feel like they might key in a little bit more on sculpin. Yeah. And then further into fall, you get the more you get into bait fish or, um, or real leachy patterns, you know, cause most of these fish, they, they run up out of lakes, reservoirs where there are a bunch of leeches. And so the peanut envy is, is on the Madison. That is probably my favorite streamer is the envy. Um, All right. Yeah. When I'm okay. jigging, it's generally an envy. Okay. How about presentation? You mentioned it a little bit, you're going to cast across and put a mend in and then jig it on the swing or jig it in the, I mean, what are some other things? It's on do? the swing. It's on the swing. It's, it's kind of like spay fishing, but with a single hander. And, you know, you're, you're adding more, more action to it than a spay rod, mm -hmm. but, uh, it's pretty much like spay fishing. You're swinging for them is what you're doing. And that's why you throw it like straight out, put in a big man. And then what you can do when you're fishing those big long holes is I usually send out a lot of line because they're, they're big holes, send out a long cast and then I'll put in one huge man take two steps down and by the time i take two steps down it's had time to sink and the water has pushed it downstream and i'll begin my jig 
And then once I get it up and then fish it all the way up to you, cause it's going to swing into the bank and then you're going to be parallel and drop off. When you start your jig, when it's taut, when the line, cause you put a mend in, so there's going to be some slack there, right? So sure. when does the jig start? Is that happen when the swing actually hits? Well, yeah, when that, when it starts swinging, it's going to start pulling on it. Yep. And, and so you also have to kind of feel. And so if, if, the current's really heavy and and I've got a big loop in the line, then I generally won't take huge jigs. I'll kind of just do like little pops because it's already moving a whole bunch. Yeah. Less is more kind of. Yeah. And they're down in those holes and you're just kind of annoying them down there really. And, uh, and yeah, I just kind of pop it, but you, you never really feel the bite when it happens. You feel it when you come taunt on, on the, on the pop. Talk to me about hook setting. You know, when I'm jigging and streamer fishing, I got a big old rope attached to them. I mean, a big one. And so I'm not too worried about pulling hard. I'm going to, I'm going to give them the onion. Yeah. (laughs) Give them the onion. The sticks or the onion? The onion. But Uh, I I will say this. It's much better if you, if you can get the mental capacity to, keep that rod down and just strip because at least you're still in the water. You know, like if you pull up on it and you yank it up out of the water, it's out of the water, you know, your opportunity is not there anymore. But if you it's still in the water and you're like, ah, I missed him. And then you continue back and you might swing around, come back and get it. You know, that's, that's kind of the big thing. And you're moving downstream, it sounds like. You said two steps down. You're, yeah, two you're steps down. You're fishing downstream, so you're kind of swing the whole time. Because you're fishing downstream. Yeah. Because you're casting straight out, and then whichever way the river's going, yeah. it's pushing it downstream. So you're swinging that thing downstream. It's just like spay fishing. Yeah. You know? Are you going to fish different casting lengths to cover i guess you don't have to because you're going to swing across the whole section so you're just moving you're covering the further out and closer in just by moving up and downstream if that makes sense i guess so you don't really have to cast like a short one and then a long one because you're going to cover you're going to fish all through that yeah you're you're like you know if this here is the river you know you're going to fish here and then here and then here so you're going to cover it all yeah yeah and here fighting fish anything to say about fighting fish in the in the fall differences you have you have a other leeway there i mean the, the water is getting cold night times yeah. are generally cold and if you're streamer fishing you probably have you know a heavier line on as well sure yeah, yeah definitely and you can definitely catch some bigger ones yeah all right how about winter time or is that off limits in your words, bean counter in the winter time? Yeah. You can skip the winter. That's fine. I mean, I don't do, I'm not going to say I do a ton of fishing in the winter. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy hunting, you know, um, I'm a elk, deer, duck, coyote, turkey guy. And, uh, yeah, that, once it That's, gets to be past, you know, October, early November, yeah, my flat rides are put up for a little while. That's fair enough. Mm-hmm. But it's still good. I mean, a lot of guys still go. And I will go if it's a unseasonably warm warm day. Okay. But if it's below 32 degrees, no way, Jose. Because <laughs> I, I hate it when yeah. the 
when the water freezes on the guides. It's yeah. the most annoying time. Yeah. I've had days like that. Oh, yeah. I got to ask you a couple of wait out there, standard patent wait out there questions before Let's we move do it. on. Uh, if you could only fish the Madison two days, which two days would you fish it and how would you fish it? Oh, okay. Fourth uh, of July. Best day. Okay. Absolute best day. That's, that's salmon flies. Got it. We talked about salmon flies, so I kind of know how you're going to do it. Yep. And one, most guides take off Fourth of July. <laughs> okay. Two, most recreators have to spend time with their families. And there are very few boats on the water, and there are big bugs on the water on the 4th of July. And I love the 4th of July to be taking a group of people down the river because it's pretty much all mine. And then um, if I was going to pick another one, That's a real good question, man. <laughs> mm, I'll say the 3rd of July. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of people that say that. They're just going to do what they love back to back. Well, that's yeah. a good answer. Um, I didn't ask you this, but if you're not throwing big streamers, are you five weight, six weight, nine foot five weight guy? Or is that anything kind of work out there? Or what do you? So generally, you know, well, your, your most versatile rod is absolutely a six weight. You can do anything you want to with a six weight. Um, the only thing it's going to do, um, you know, perfectly well would be more of your nymphing type stuff, you know, a little bit heavier rigs. Um, it will still throw a, a dry fly really well, especially a large dry fly like a salmon fly. Six weights are great for it. I generally prefer an eight and a half foot five weight for salmon flies. All right. Um, and that is simply because accuracy is so important. And the shorter your rod, the more accurate you are. And it actually makes a pretty big difference. Um, and it's simply because most people have a little bit of cant to their cast. It's a little bit sideways. And so it's just like a sidearm pitcher, you know, throwing a baseball. When you're sidearm, your release point has to be absolutely spot on every single time. Because if your release point is too early, it's going right. If it's too late, it's going left. And then, you know, whichever, however low or high or speed that you throw the ball is your elevation. Right. So if you want to get really, really, really accurate with a rod, try to get it more straight up and down. And that will take out your left and right. And then all you have to deal with with a fly rod on the cast is just your essentially your elevation, which is controlled in your left hand, whichever hand is not on the, on the rod. Yeah. And you can just stop that line right there on the bank. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Yeah. So when you want to get real accurate, real straight up and down, straight in with the elbow up, boom, push out with that thumb, stop it. Most memorable fish for you on the Madison. Oh, well, I caught a 26-incher out there this year. That was That's a giant for the upper Madison. That's a taped and measured, legitimate 26-inch fish. How did that day go? Uh, did it test it, all your your fighting skills that we talked about? Honestly, I had that sucker in the net in about 30 seconds. <laughs> Good. 
Sure did. And, and, and it was on an eight and a half foot five weight. Yeah. And it comes down to how big is the rope you have attached to them? I mean, I had some really strong line on there and I didn't care if I, you know, didn't get bites from every single fish in the river. I was just wanting to hang on to the fish in the river. And yeah, so I just manhandled them, got them in the in the, in the net real quick. What's something you learned recently or maybe relearned a lesson learned the hard way or relearned or anything new that you've picked up on the Madison? So I would say, uh, the biggest thing is fish every cast. Like if you, you know, some people make more false casts than others. I'm one to where I, my whole goal in casting is to get the fly on the water or in the water with as few as false casts as possible. And so if you pick it up and you lay it down and it's not exactly where you want it, fish it, still fish it, fish it with confidence. Because remember, fish have tails and fins and they're really fast. And if they want it, they'll come get it too. And, uh, and so just what, whatever you do, don't, don't feel like it has to be the perfect cast and in, in on a spot. It's much better to fish your cast as opposed to just beating the water up, yeah. trying to get in the exact perfect spot and then fish it. So, you know, as far as like new anglers, that's the biggest thing is when you go to make a cast, regardless of where it lands, as long as it's not tangled, just fish it and then start it over again and try to make a better one the next time. All right, Daniel, I appreciate all that knowledge. I think it's going to be awesome. This might be a two-part episode. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> anything else uh, you want to mention about the Madison? You know, uh, Madison's a, it's a awesome river. It's one of a kind. Um, uh, it's, it's great. And, you know, the slide in is a great shop. Uh, a lot of really good dudes, really good guides. I'm certainly not the best one there. And, uh, we're all really close and we'll all take you out and have a great time. And, you know, I know we can be pretty intense or, or I can be pretty intense when it comes to fishing, but it, you know, it's really based on the audience and, we're really good at reading people and if if you don't want it to be intense we're not going to make it intense so if you want to go out on madison then slide in is a really good spot to start before i ask my last question daniel how can people follow you on your fly fishing journey find out more about you and uh anything that you got coming up in the future that you're excited about um well i have an instagram it's dbrag1109 um, I really don't put a ton of stuff on there anymore. I used to. Um, I still put up some some fish picks every once in a while, but I, you know, I just have kind of gotten away from the Instagram thing. Um, but I still put up some stuff for sure. Well, we'll put that in the show notes so people can find you if they like, and then they can always find you over at uh, Gallup Slide In, right? Yep, yep. I'm over there at Kelly Gallup Slide In, and there's uh there's going to be well there's let's see there's six or seven of us this year and they might even well i know they brought on a couple of new guys in the shop so there's always some some fresh blood and, and that's another thing to to young uh anglers is when you go looking for a guide if you are like 
picky about the guide that you want. Don't be one of those people who says, I want an old, old guide with low guide numbers who can actually teach me something. The guide you want is the young dude. <laughs> That's who you want because he's hungry. He wants them. That is absolutely a tip. Like if you're looking at guides, go with a young guy because they, yeah. they want it. I can relate to that. Uh, <laughs> we always used to say that the, the newest IP in the squadron, the, the newest instructor pilot in the squadron is, is always usually one of the best because they are the most motivated. They're most yeah. excited to teach and they're, they're fresh for them and they love it. And uh, the older and, the older and longer you do it, the little, the harder it is to kind of get fired up, but right. not always yeah. the case, but it was a, uh, it was something that was said in the, in the squadron for sure. It was a known yeah. thing. Absolutely. The newest weapons officer, the, the, the guy that's freshest out of the schoolhouse, but all right, man, last question. You ready? Yeah. If you could go back to when you started fly fishing and give yourself two pieces of advice, one more, of a tactical piece and one more of a philosophical, what would you tell yourself to help you progress as a fly fisher? Mm, tactical. It goes along the lines of the casting thing. And it's, uh, it's not about strength. Like the quicker you can get the, the thought in your head of powering through a cast to get it to go further, or, you know, you go through your false cast just perfectly. And then on the one that you want to lay it down on, you really just, force it down it's not the way to do it it is all about timing rhythm and form and um you know the best angler i've ever had in my boat with a lot of people in my boat was an 80 plus year old woman who was maybe four foot tall maybe she's tiny i mean tiny dude she was incredible I, that that's the only way to put it. I mean, absolutely unreal at, at angling. Like I've, I've never seen anything like it. Um, she was laying out dry flies, small dry flies at no kidding you, like easily 80 feet, you know, just a few wraps of fly line before backing. And, and it's simply because I was messing with her because I was blown away at her skill. And I was just steadily backing off the bank, making her cast further. She finally turned around and looked at me and she goes, you know, I can cast this far, but I prefer not to. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so, so the quicker you can get the strength part and powering through it out of your head and just concentrate on form, timing, stopping points, stroke, the better you're going to be. And as far as casting, you know, less tangles, less tailing loops, all that stuff. And it's only one part. It's one of the five parts, like you said. I think that's super uh, cool that you that you brought that up. And there's oh, all these yeah. other things that people need to put it all together. Absolutely. And then the philosophical part is, uh, you know, just take time to look around and appreciate where you're at and where the sport takes you. If you let it, you, it can take you all over the world for all sorts of different critters. You know, when it all comes down to it, fly fishing is simply just a way of for, you know, projecting a, a lure. That's all it is. And, uh, so if you let the, let the sport take you, it can really take you to some cool spots and, uh, change your life. Daniel, thank you. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge today on the five parts of fly fishing and the Madison River and your passion for the sport and also your story because I think it's pretty inspirational, actually. And uh, thanks for taking the time to be on the show, man. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. You can learn more about some of the topics we discussed in today's episode show notes. For more fly fishing ideas, stories, and artwork, check out my blog and online gallery at wadeoutthere.com. If you want to make Wade Out There a part of your own fly fishing journey, please subscribe and share. Until next time, Wade Out There.